So I was listening back to the episode we did last week about the strikes. And I know, Kirk, you don't listen to the podcast. Well, yeah. So, okay. So historically, no. Um, but now that Paul's barely on it, I, I do listen to it. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with hearing his, his voice. I wish the person that writes in Paul's mind would go on strike. <laughs> so I no longer have to hear his thoughts and voice. But no, yeah, I, 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 I did actually listen back to last week as well. Um, which for the listeners TM who may have not listened to last week, which then therefore, therefore would not make you a listener. We talked about the strike, meaning the strike in Hollywood, the WGA strike and the SAG-AFTRA strike and our thoughts on that, which leads us into this episode where we're going to talk in a bit. Well, we're not going to talk actually for once. We're going to let Erica speak and Erica is going to speak to a few different people who know what is going on in this world way better than we do. Um, so we figured that'd be a nice little follow-up to last week's episode. Yeah, Andrew, what do, you, what did you, do you have any thoughts left in your brain about the strike? I feel like you said to me earlier how there's in the news in the news right now you feel like it's it's obviously actively still happening but like the news is not covering it as much as it was right in the beginning or a few weeks ago yeah that's definitely true um because there's so much other stuff in the news constantly i don't know it seems like the news can't cover more than one thing at a time so oh and now we have trump's mugshot we have to talk about that oh that's um, right yeah that was this week's yeah yeah news or weekend or week thursday thursday like yeah last week two weeks ago at this point if you're listening to this <laughs> he'll probably be I mean, always going back September 6th, but by the time this is out, that, yeah. Maybe he can pick up listening to the podcast while he's in prison. While he's in prison, yes. To all our prisoner listeners, DM. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we could DM that. I don't think anyone's ever said that. <laughs> Please download our episodes. <laughs> then what did you think of the headshot? I thought all those headshots were terrible headshots. Not because of, like, how the people looked in them necessarily. Do you mean, like, they the production like, of the headshots? What fucking rotted <laughs> potato just we really just like should so up our production game quality horrible lighting we really should yes we should take that on as a project <laughs> i thought his headshot was beautiful i loved it i was like i want to know like what was going through his mind when he felt the need to do like that thing with his with, like the eyebrow and the look down and the look up like the, the positioning of his of his face it was so interesting that was kind of an unusual expression for him yeah, it's an expression I've never seen from him, which is, like, rare. I feel like you always see the same expressions from him. You know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of talking about okay. Trump. I- I'll say that. Like, even the, d- the debates. Oh, my God, yeah, that happened, too. The first uh, Republican um, candidate debate, like, Trump was not there, but Trump was absolutely there. Like, he was the unspoken topic of conversation for most of it. Um, people just dancing around the whole Trump of it all. Um, but then also completely outspoken when they asked everybody, would you support Donald Trump if he uh, still became the candidate while he's facing all these allegations and charges? And almost everybody shot their hand up immediately, except for Ron DeSantis, who didn't put his hand up and then looked around sheepishly, realized everyone else had their hand up. And then he like tried to slowly put his hand up for a second and then put it back down. You know who I'm kind of mad about? Um, Chris Christie rose his hand at the raised his hand at the end of it. If you look at the clip, it's like far enough far away, but he kind of like looks like a little bit. There's actually backstory about this. He's claiming that he did put his hand up, but not in support of Trump. He was like wagging his finger to like scold the other people on stage for all saying they would support Trump, and then he was shaking his head saying never again. It's kind of ambiguous from the video, but 
I mean, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, right? I will, no. <laughs> <laughs> he only did that bridge thing one time. Yes, one one time. I, I would love if he were to run. I mean, he's running. If he were to, well, I would love for him to go on a run, actually. But I would love for him to um, win, but he's not going to. I fear Nikki Haley these, this week. I was reading a lot about her and how scary it would be if she won the primary. I think if it wasn't for Trump in the game, she has a very good shot, actually. Because um, she fills that gap where she's not she's not a Trumper. She's not like full MAGA, um, but obviously she's right wing. So she can kind of play around with being a center right person, yeah. which which people kind of like. If, if, if you're exhausted of Trump, then you're going to like that. You'll see it as a return to the, the party of old. And then uh, she's a woman, so I think they could get an easy win right there, being the party to elect the first female president. And... Uh, I, I just think she was better spoken than all the men on stage. Certainly better spoken than Ron DeSantis. Oh my God, his smile. Or lack yeah. of smile. Or his loading smile. I, I think Vivek could have a shot too, but he just says too many is dumb the, fucking things. Is that the billionaire guy? No. Yeah. Yeah, you think he has a shot? I think he could if, he like, if he like it wasn't for Trump. Barack Obama. Yeah, well, he's he keeps doing stupid little things like that, and they stack up. I think but he's doing them to get, that, to get recognition. Like I think he did that on purpose, so it would be like, well, no matter what happens, um, it's going to be good for Vivek Ramaswamy because uh, he's he's not going to get the the nomination. He's not going to be the candidate, but I don't think he really cares if he is or not because that just means he's going to get a cabinet position. He'll become a governor of some yeah. state. Like this is this is good for him no matter what. So that's why he's just trying to be as loud and as crazy as possible. So I mean, you might be right. He might be doing some of these things on on purpose. Mm-hmm. People certainly talk about it. Well, thankfully we have I mean, not thankfully, but while we have content running out on our screens because of the strike soon enough, um, there's multiple of these debates left to entertain us. So we'll keep our eyes on those since we can't keep our eyes on anything else. But that being said, should we jump into Erica's interviews? Let's jump into the hellscape of Erica interviewing people, interviewing people <laughs> completely unsupervised. <laughs> Just kidding. I was there for the recordings That's to make so sure funny. everything went smoothly. That's hilarious. Our first interview today is Stacey Arnell. She is lucky to have a career working in film, TV, and commercials spanning more than three decades. Stacey reiterated a point we made last week. TV shows used to run 22 episodes, but now a season will only have 8 to 10 episodes. Residuals used to sustain actors in between jobs, but harsh rules dictating the amount of money actors must make to maintain health benefits, the loss of quoting in the industry, and other factors force actors to take any job that comes their way, no matter how little it pays. Well, my name is Stacey Arnell. I've been in the industry 31 years as an actor. Um, my experience, I mean, I've done television, film, commercials, some, some theater, I've been pretty steadily working for 31 years. So I came into the business when I was 21 years old, 20, 21 years old. And I was constantly working. I didn't start off like out of school being an actor. I kind of fell into acting. I went to school for broadcast journalism. 
And then I fell into acting. I had an agent who discovered me in a store and I was just only doing commercials, paying my way through college. Mm -hmm. And then um, I came here and I was like steadily working a few sitcoms here and there, some commercials. And then I landed on a soap opera for a short period of time. So after that, coming off a soap opera into the real world of acting, um, I was getting parts that were taken away from me by actors who had just come here and um, wasn't booking jobs. The jobs that I was getting would take away from me were given to the same actress. So that's when I really, really learned about how you get parts in Hollywood if you want to keep them. And I wasn't willing to do that. <laughs> I know you, Stacey. So that doesn't surprise I me was, at all. I was like, well, if my talent doesn't, keep me with the job, then I'll move on to the next, Mm -hmm. you know? So that was like my bad experience. And it it happened more than once, you know? Right. We hear it all the time, right? And it it is interesting to, you know, hear it from the mouth of someone who has been in the business and has been able to sustain themselves in the business, um, you know, without having to, to forego their morals. Right. And fortunately for me, I haven't had to take a nine to five or anything like that. I've been, you know, commercials keep you going. It's really good money. Mm-hmm. Um, some jobs I didn't want that I took were, that were good parts, but the projects were, wasn't good. Right. So you want to build your resume and your reel, you take the part and just whatever on the project. Mm-hmm. And so kind of stepping into kind of the, the meat of this, which is around uh, these strikes. And like you've said, you've been in the industry for 31 years. And I think that, mm-hmm. Um, that is a testament to a lot of things, but one of those definitely has to be tenacity, right? And so I guess as someone who has really had to push through what I can imagine some times of frustration and uncertainty, this is a time of uncertainty for a lot of people. So what is your general stance on these strikes that are happening now, the folks who are picketing, the folks who aren't picketing? Well, here's why I start. The strikes are necessary because there were times that we used to do 22 episodes of a show and we can live through until the next season of the show. Mm -hmm. You can't do that now. Everything is kind of streaming and streaming only does eight to 10 episodes with no residuals. So I think that's where we start with the strike. Our fight is we want residuals. Also, our residuals have been taken away from our pension and our benefits, medical benefits. They don't put those towards the medical benefits anymore. So you have to make something like $25,000 a quarter in order to keep your medical benefits. So therefore, you have to take kind of any old job. You have to do voiceovers. You have to do commercials. You have to do print work. You have to do the whole spectrum of entertainment in order to make that money to keep your medical benefits. So now with the eight to 10 episodes streaming, no residuals, no raises really. For instance, I just did a Netflix show. Netflix is the only streaming site that only offers two residuals. That's to the lead actor, to anybody. That's your standard contract. So an actor that's on a show, a regular on a show, you got to go find another job until your show comes back. Mm -hmm. When you really... Most actors usually would take vacations, three, four months vacation time. No, you can't do that anymore. You have to work in order to keep those benefits. Now you can't even really take a vacation like that because the money isn't there that you used to make. And we used to have quotes that we don't get anymore. So say I made 
$27,000 on one episode. And then the next show that I get, my quote goes up, all quotes have gone away. So now right. it's like, this is we have to offer you for this character for this week. You either take it or leave it, or we go to the next actor, which is somebody that's new in the business, coming into the business probably. They mm-hmm. build in their resume, but it's not a very good actor because a lot of actors now are not even trained actors that is showing that are showing up on these TV shows. Like right. I watch a show and I look and I'm like, who is that? Who is that? So then I go to IMDb and I was like, well, how did they get with that agency? They don't only have three, four credits when they're taking any job to make money to break into the business. So the guild capped it off as 160,000 members. But now, as of last week, I read an article, they're still letting other people in the union when it's not even enough work for the members that they have. But as far as the strike, it, it, it's not very necessary. I, I know that there's been some people who've kind of spoken out taking um, an anti-strike approach. Um, what do you have to say to the people who are part of SAG-AFTRA, WGA, who are kind of like, honestly, guys, I don't think we need this. Like, we need to kind of handle this on our own. Well, first of all, we couldn't handle it on our own if we didn't have a president who would, or uh, a person that would speak on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who those people are because I haven't heard of anybody that's taken that stance. But if there are people, those people probably have jobs, uh, nine to five jobs with pensions who really are doing mm-hmm. this as a side hustle. This is not a side hustle for me. It's my livelihood. You know, mm-hmm. I gave up a lot to come here to pursue this. It's a passion for me. Sometimes I love the business more than it loves me, but it's a passion for me. So those people who are taking that stance, they probably have 401ks on their jobs and this is their side hustle. That kind of brings me to another question is I, I know that it, the Disney CEO came out and basically said, you know, let's just ride these out until they starve. If you could look him dead in the eye and say what you feel, what would you say to him? That's bullshit. Because <laughs> first of all, let's just say without a writer, without an actor, you have no content, you have no performer. Mm-hmm. So... If you can sit home and let an actor or writer starve and lose their house, that tells me you're making heads of studios and executives are making billions and billions of dollars where they're carrying on about their life, but they don't care about the actor or the writer, but they're making money off of our performance and the writer's content. That's bullshit to me. I completely agree. I wish I could look him dead in the eye and say, what are you thinking? This is the meat of the industry. These people this is are the, the, meat industry. Of the industry. Right. So without a writer's content, an actor's performance, what do you have? This strike, right? So your studio is losing money. Your production company is losing money. So where does the common sense come in? You know, I'd say we're at the very, very early stages of this, but the idea of using AI to capture an actor's likeness for life, you know, is that something that you have concerns over? Do you think it will be a problem? For me, it's not fair that you can say you're going to use my likeness for AI and not pay me. Mm -hmm. First of all, you need my permission to use my likeness. That's a little out of pocket for me. What gives you the nerve to even say, I'm going to use your likeness. There's nothing you can do about it. I have a lawyer. <laughs> Let me tell you, these people have a lot of nerve too. They have a lot of nerves, you know, they have a lot of nerves. And that, that just tells you that they don't really care. It's so unfortunate that technology that really could help us in so many ways 
is just completely being weaponized against. It's been weaponized, right. A lot of the media coverage around this has been the big celebrities, obviously, Fran Drescher. But what have you been hearing from your peers, the people who feel this the most where, you know, I'm sure the nanny has her racking in the bucks for life. Uh, Yeah. And she's been pretty passionate about it when she's speaking. Mm -hmm. But a lot of actors um, have gotten nine to five jobs. A lot of actors have sold their cars and they're Ubering around because for one, we're not going to auditions in the room anymore. That stopped when COVID hit. Right. You just kind of ride it out, you know, and, Hopefully somebody will come to their senses and say, hey, okay, look, let's let's come to a happy medium with all parties. You know, the holidays coming up, people have families coming in town, people traveling. How do you do that when we're not working? But you see the execs on private jets and going to the cabins and to the Seychelles and everywhere. You know, it just to us is a slap in the face. Yeah. Do you feel optimistic that the outcome of this will be something that's fair or do you think that you will be the ones making more concessions in the executives i don't know if the pay will get better depending on who you're working for what studio what production company um for me at this point i just want to continue to do quality projects with quality roles i want to continue to be on screen with the lead of the show that's that's my whole resume, my whole reel. I'm always with the lead on the show. Mm-hmm. So I hope that continues because it benefits me, you know. So when a cast director who hasn't met me in 30 years that I've been in the business, like, oh, you're new. No, I'm not new. I'm just not used up. I pick mm-hmm. and choose what projects that I want to do. I think there is going to be a big change when the strike is over. Um, I hope we can all come to a happy medium before the holidays. I don't know. I don't know what the forecast is. We hope that we release this episode and we have to leave a disclaimer at the beginning and say, you know, the strikes have come to an end. Both sides are happy. Let's just get back to work. Let's get back to the business of making good movies and good television shows. I have a good agent, good manager who fight for me. But I'm going to say since the past couple of weeks, I've started just putting the ball in my court now, taking over my own career. I've been making phone calls. I've been, you know, making reconnecting with casting people, reconnecting with people that I know, directors. I've just been doing it myself Mm -hmm. because I'm like, I just feel like I can't leave it up to them, which I had been doing. But now I'm just like, I'm putting the ball back in my court. I'm taking control of my own career. And we love to see it. We love to see a woman taking control of her career. So I hope that your story is, is repeated in so many people who are going through this now and that they're still finding ways to make their career because I do think that it is something that we want the people like you who are really passionate because those are the ones who are ultimately going to perform and give us the best possible product. So we are definitely really grateful to have had you on and and hear not only your experience, but the beautiful way that comes out in the words that you've said. Thank you. And if you want to plug anything, we're more than happy to. We love to plug on this podcast. Well, I'm going to plug the calling. Let's go. <laughs> Regional Cooks, the calling, because there is a show already on. I think it's canceled called The Calling, but it's Regional Cooks, the calling. It's a faith based drama. We'll be shooting that hopefully next fall in Georgia. I play Candace on the show. I think a lot of people are just going to be excited about the show because it's fresh. It's new. The writing is amazing. The characters are phenomenal. 
actually it's going to be Arch 7 TV. That's his platform. So you can go to your smart TV and you can download Arc 7 and for whatever it costs per month, watch all 10 episodes of The Calling. You know what I love about Stacy? She has a strong opinion and a strong conviction about everything she said. And it's not just directed at the evil Hollywood CEOs or the industry. And she has some pretty harsh words for the union she's a part of, but also a lot of praise for it too, um, especially the president of the union who is out there fighting on behalf of the union members. I also love that she made a good comment that I think I've thought of before, but it was really interesting to hear from her that I think we had didn't talk about last week, but this idea of like, as a group, as the union together coming and striking, like one person could just like, and there are people like this who don't belong to the guild, who are writers or who are actors who like want to move on, move forward and not strike and are going to go and try and find their own work to, to create because they can if they're not a part of the union. Yeah. But they want to stay together because that's the whole purpose. But like They could have a lot of them just disband and create their own work, right? I mean, it is better to be in the union because the union is what got them anywhere yeah. You know, to begin with, um, it's it's already a very exploitive industry, even with the unions. And maybe uh, there could be improvements made to the union as well. I- I'm sure that's definitely true. Um, but by and large, having that collective gives you the power to stand up to the studios, distributors, and the major entertainment companies. Now we have Reggie Cook, a Wall Street banker turned screenwriter, playwright, novelist, aka a full-time writer. Also, Stacy's husband. Hollywood is famous for nepotism. I kid, I kid. But let's learn more about the strike from a writer themselves. Um, my name is Reggie Cook. I'm a screenwriter, playwright, and novelist. I've been writing full-time now for the last 24 years. Oh, originally... I was involved in investment banking in Wall Street, and I'd been doing that uh, since I was 25 years old. And when I turned 40, I made the switch over to full-time writing. I'd always been a writer. Well, that wasn't something you aspired to. Uh, From my blue-collar background, nobody said, hey, I want to grow up and be a writer one day. And right now I'm uh, working on a television series, uh, The Calling, based on a novel that I wrote. It's a faith-based, Christian-based television series. So it sounds like writing was definitely a journey that was fueled by passion, for sure. You have seen a lot in the industry um, for the many years that you've been a part of it. You know, as someone who's had a lot of experience and I think also has a very unique background in that it was something that you started later in life when you were, you know, with family. Um, What are your general stances on these strikes and just kind of the way that they've been covered and um, some of the discourse that we've heard around it? Well, the strikes were to be expected because we live in a a very different world than we lived in five years ago. The pandemic ravaged not only the entertainment industry, it ravaged a lot of industry. You mix that with 
massive inflation that's taken place. The prices of everything are much It was a natural next step. Wages had to be increased. The money that people were making, not only in entertainment, but all industries were not enough for people to live. Most actors are not Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks, you know, making 10, 15 million dollars per movie. They're blue collar actors, I say. And streaming changed everything. Actors and writers used to get residuals based on the network selling commercial time and generating revenue from commercials and actors and writers and everybody got a piece of that. With streaming, those revenue streams no longer exist. And so a person paying $12.99 a month for a streaming subscription, no matter how much content they watch or how many times they watch it, they still only pay $12.99 a month. So there's no increase in income for the streamers. I know it looks like they're making a lot of money, but that's just revenue. None of these streamers profit, profitability. None. Right. I always thought the strike was going to happen because you have actors you know, who need to make a living because the cost of living is much higher. And you have studios who are locked in now to streaming and they don't have these additional income streams of DVDs where they used to really make their their profit. And so they cut costs wherever they could. This was going to happen. I believe streamers are going to pay more upfront for acting. Same thing with, with writers. You're going to have to pay writers more money than you did in the past upfront. Now, that's going to make profitability more difficult. So I think an unintended consequence is going to be there are going to be fewer streamers there because they're going to have to consolidate to be able to afford the increase in costs. One of the great benefits to streaming for actors and writers, when it was just network and cable television, they used to do around 300 shows a year. With, because streaming is such a voracious appetite for content, they shortened the seasons from 22 episodes to now 8, 9, 10 episodes. But I think last year it was 675 shows. Old. So there are more actors working, but they're not able to make a sustainable living off of an eight-episode season. I think streaming has been great for the, the consumer. I think it's been a terrible business model. It used to be that a studio would make a movie for $40 million. That movie might do $60 million at the box office. Half of the box office goes to the theater. 
So they made $30 million on a $40 million movie. But when I looked at DVD sales, that same movie would make $140, $150 million in DVD sales, and everybody was able to eat off of it. People don't even go to the theaters much anymore because they know eventually it's going to be online. So if it's not a blockbuster Barbie Mission Impossible, people are not going to movies to see those smaller independent movies anymore because eventually if they wait a couple of weeks, it's going to be on Hulu or Netflix. It's tough. It's a tough model. I'm curious to see how it'll all pan out in the end because it's tough on both sides. It's funny. I couldn't recall the last time I've seen a commercial because I I am on all the streaming services and, you know, I've paid for the, the tier that doesn't include the commercials. Streaming is, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of a lot of people, kind of where a lot of this is coming from. So kind of stepping away from the business side, as a writer, have you noticed any changes in the way that people write and the the quality and quantity that people write. Because as you said previously, you know, I remember I was catching up on some old shows like Grey's Anatomy and I'm like, wow, I'm on episode 25. These are shows that run on for eight, nine, 10 seasons, but now you'll have a show where you have your eight episodes and you never hear from it again. So is that something that you as a writer and, you know, someone who's connected with other writers, is that something that y'all have all felt? Um, And what has that change look like for you? It's tough because when you had the longer seasons, of course, you were able to sustain yourself over 22, 24 episodes. Uh, it's, It's a cut in pay, but there are actually more writing opportunities. Sad. One of the sad things that I've seen, the quality of writing has diminished greatly. Writers are not as adept at writing good stories. That's why you go to a Netflix, and sometimes I flip through, and it's difficult to find something worthy of my attention yeah. uh, because it's just not a lot of greatly written show. I think the advent of I, artificial intelligence too has diminished the quality of writing because this, the studios, they always look for ways to cut costs. Artificial intelligence looks like it's a good way to go. You don't have to really pay a writer and you can generate these stories. The problem is, and I've experimented with AI, the quality is just not very good. I'm not impressed with AI. Uh, I think it's a misnomer to even call it artificial intelligence. It's not intelligence. One service I looked at, they're programmed with 30,000 scripts. A computer can only mimic what's loaded in it. The real question is, whose work are you writing off of to mm-hmm. so-called create original material? It's not original material. 
right. you're copying from other writers. So much so that the U.S. Copyright Office will not issue a copyright on material written by a machine. To me, this is the first sign of more to come where, you know, a lot of folks are sitting here saying, the money that you paid me three years ago is not doing the same as the money that I need to be paid now. And then on top of that, there's this very looming, you know, for some people, it's a big, dark, scary rain cloud. And for other people, it's just a little sprinkling with AI being, you know, the thing that's supposed to replace our jobs. It's naturally getting a lot of attention because there's big names who are attaching themselves to this. And even so, I, I said it before, we are closer to Tom Cruise than Tom Cruise is to Elon Musk, right? So right. we are not billionaires and there's that big divide there. So why should the average person who, yeah, would love to see a movie, would love to see season two of their next show, but, you know, they're saying to themselves, these are just a whole bunch of actors and writers who are whining because they're not getting enough. What would you say to that person who is just kind of like, why should I care about this? Well, the average person should realize that most of Hollywood is just like them. They're blue collar. They're taking care of their families and paying their mortgage, car note and insurance, just like they. Most of Hollywood is more like the average everyday person than the elite. They should care what happens to these individuals because it's a reflection of what's happening to them in their jobs, whether they're truck drivers, whether they're school teachers. 90% or more of Hollywood is exactly that. They're struggling to make a living. They're trying to send their kids to the best schools possible. They're trying to navigate life the way these everyday people are. That's why they should care, because it's a reflection of what's going on with them. Should care. If they care about themselves, they should care about these 90 who are out on the picket lines trying to pay their bills, uh, trying to keep their health care benefits and just trying to make a living. I completely agree. So I was the one who chose to do research for this episode, and I kind of came into it thinking, what if they just found another job? Why don't they just do something else? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in actually being able to talk to people who this is their full-time profession, it's so funny that I had that thought then, because that's like someone saying to me, well, why don't you just quit accounting and, and do something else? Well, that's what I've, you know, gone to school for. That's what I've dedicated so much of my life to. And so this is just one step. This is one sector. There is no difference between me as an accountant, you as a writer, Stacy as an actress. We are all just trying to, you know, pay our bills, live our lives and, and pursue our passions. And I think that, you know, one thing that we really want to focus on is kind of creating that connection for people. So right. is there anything that, you know, you kind of want to give to the audience? Every artist that I've met in this business, whether they're a writer or an actor or a producer or a director, everybody understands the cost of going mm -hmm. into this business. It 
high risk, high reward. Some people go to their grave never having make it. It's a fee- it can be feast or famine. You, we do it because we love But most of the country can't do what a good writer and what a good actor can do. It's just like in accounting. I can't do accounting. <laughs> I can add and subtract. That doesn't make me an accountant. Learn that coming from a Wall Street, hard numbers background. I learned the importance of art. It's an escape. It lets people get away and relax and gives them sometimes a moment of peace, a moment of reflection. Even hearing the way that you talk about this, it's like, wow, I could not form that sentence. And so it is great that we do have all these wonderful writers. Reggie, if you want to tell us when the listeners can expect The Calling to be released and where they could find it when it is. I think after this strike, I'll have a better feel for exactly when. But I'd say we should begin production a year from now. Right now, listeners can go to Amazon or any uh, bookstore, Barnes and Noble Books, and the novel, The Calling, it's Reginald Cook's The Calling, spelled regional. I spell my name regional. Regional <laughs> Cook's The Calling. And they can read volume one. And that encompasses season. Of the- awesome. We'll make sure to drop the Amazon link in the episode description as well. Sounds. The one part that stood out to me there in Reggie's interview was the comment he made about the blue collar actor or writer or anyone like that, um, which I think is really interesting because obviously a lot of the times when you see a lot of the commentary happening right now in the media, especially from the right, it's like, wow, wow, the rich Hollywood elite crying about not making enough money. But it's like the thousands and thousands of people, the majority of the people in these unions are these actors that are not making 10 to $50 million on a film. Um, they need to consistently work like anyone else does, like I do, like we all do, um, to make an income and to consistently have food on the table. That's very much the case. You think of Hollywood, you're instantly thinking of the biggest stars. You're not thinking of the people in the background, extras, and all those people are working. They're working hard and and they need to make money. And it's it's not even about just the people who are just starting out or are just background actors. It's also now creeping up to people who are in the main cast, multiple cast members of Orange is the New Black, describing to industry publications how little they made in residuals, even from a hit show like that. We have one final interview with Nat Anglin. Nat grew up in Boston and came to L.A. in 2015 when he booked a part on American Horror Story. Since then, he has been a member of SAG-AFTRA, a working actor and single father, living in L.A. A single dad who works no jobs, because they're on strike. (laughs) Who loves his kids, and he did stop. (laughs) With gentle hands and the heart of a fighter, he's a writer. Or is he an actor? (laughs) He's an actor, Kirk. Let's get into the interview. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. My name is Nat Anglin. Um, I've been in L.A. since 2015. Um, single dad, working hard. Uh, I've been in the SAG after union 
for two years now. I first uh, joined when I booked American Horror Story a couple years ago. I'm not in WGA yet, however, was striking on their behalf even before SAG struck because I have mutual friends. And then also I just thought it was the right thing to do. You know, creator in, in all ways, I've always been very interested in creativity. You know, I started out in the music industry and while I still dabble in that, my primary focus has shifted to more acting, writing, um, and it, it points producing and directing when that time comes. So, I, you know, that's my professional background. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. My grandfather was in the carpentry union. Um, most of my friends and family have been in unions their entire lives, right? So I know sometimes people like to kind of change things around, but I think one of the most important things for me personally about this whole thing, even when I joined Zag long before it struck, was that the solidarity thing kind of is transparent and it can kind of cross over a lot of different boundaries and that the more people kind of start to realize that regardless if you're a UPS driver, if you're a teacher, if you're an electrician union, it's kind of one of those things where I'm going to take your word on it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we got to fight for your rights, too. And I, I know people like to get bogged down in Hollywood and oh, the rich and the, <laughs> and the elitist and the, oh, it's the coastal bubbles. And these people make 50 million. They're the first ones to tell you this fight's not really about them per se. Obviously, it impacts them greatly. And I'm not taking away from those people as well in those brackets. But as we've seen the last few weeks, you know, we've got a lot of A-lister people, men and women making tons of money that are still fighting because they're like, this is ridiculous for the other people. I've been kind of following all of the Instagram pages with all the actors who've been coming out. And it's been amazing to see people who don't have to go out. They could, you know, very well just get away with an Instagram post. But, you know, to see them out on the picket lines is so powerful. But um, kind of on the opposite side of that, I know there are some actors who have spoken out against picketing. Do you have any opinion on kind of the other side of the argument that's anti-picketing? And Yeah, there is no argument. I think it's a very <laughs> selfish view. I think it's a very misguided view. And I think, quite frankly, you know, there's a reason why if you're in a union, there are very strict rules about, you know, what goes down. And again, where I come from, not to try to say that this is necessarily the right thing. I have seen people do illegal things in response to stuff like that. People fighting, people throwing things, getting mm -hmm. angry, upset. These are people's lives. These are people's children. These are people's, um, you know, common respect in some cases. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for necessarily any of that behavior. What's the old saying? The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who don't pick a side. Or yep. <laughs> I, I really don't have much to say to that because again, the overwhelming constant battle has always been, regardless of the industry, the guys with tons of money, Wall Street influence, and even political influence, whatever you want to call it, line the pockets while the guys uh, and girls that are elsewhere are left holding the bag. I'm not happy about striking. I'm not happy about not being able to work. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who share that sentiment, of course. I mean, mm -hmm. that's kind of the problem. But in order for us to get something fair, we all have to sacrifice. And if you want to be the person that doesn't want to do that because you think that the, there's some golden person on the other side that's just going to figure it out for us, like, no. That's not how greed works, right? No, it's just not. <laughs> You know, people that have all the cards and all the money and have introduced more and more and more, especially over the last like 25 years, Wall Street influence and tech influence, which mm -hmm. I'm not saying aren't welcome. I'm just saying they're not the artists. They're not the creators. And they, quite frankly, haven't done the best job running things as is. So, right. again, 
another reason why I'm not going to listen to them. And you've mentioned, you know, all of the experience that you've had in the industry and a lot of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, has come from the uh, rise of these streaming platforms and the content that they're creating and even just a turnaround. Um, as someone who's, you know, been a lot more connected to it, what of the changes that you've seen within, you know, the industry and the people in it? And also, I guess, looking at those vets in the industry versus the rookies in the industry. For sure. I met a guy at one of the strikes recently. This was actually before the SAG strike, WGA. I wanted it. I want to say he was a story editor on one of those CSI type shows. I'm not going to elaborate on which one, but it was one of those type of shows, major network. Um, you know, was talking about how obviously it was good pay and how obviously when he was younger, this is say 20 years ago now, just for the sake of argument, how it was a big break for him. This gentleman, I want to say is like around 50 now, if I had to guess. And he was talking about how now as an executive producer and like a much higher up the ladder, mm -hmm. he's making less now than he was as a story editor back wow. in the you know early 2000s, I would have to guess. That's just one example. It may be on the extreme. I don't have all the data. All I know is this. Anytime there's major structural changes to something like, for example, streaming, both sides kind of have an opportunity to be like, okay, how do we burrow in and get what we want? I understand that. But the way I replicate it for people is kind of like taxes. When there's new tax things in, in brought in, there always seems to be a lot of people that kind of hung on the hook. And then there always seems to be these gaping loopholes that open up for really rich folks or for big businesses or for real estate or whatever. It's the same mm -hmm. thing with streaming. Did we know everything that was going to come about it? No. Were some of their concerns and worries about how much it would actually generate be valid? I would say that's probably fair, but let's get serious. We weren't going to go broke. <laughs> we knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. Um, and now, now they're dragging their feet as people are kind of reaching back after we made, you know, an operation in good faith back in 07, 08. And they're saying, oh, well, you know, they're, they're being wishy-washy about how much they're making. They're rejecting literally any proposals we make about being more transparent about what's coming in. Um, they don't want to match the inflation increase. They're always crying about inflation. They're always crying about how much money is changing and how they're getting screwed and how that they're, you know, their companies are suffering because of all this stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, blame the president that's in office or whoever. But at the same time, they refuse to match the inflation for the actors or the writers. My day job is I'm an accountant and our raises are going to be 3%. And this was last year when inflation was around 6%. And they kind of gave us the same thing. And so it's so interesting how many parallels there are across industries where, you know, you have the people at the top you know, this guy has a penthouse apartment that he had custom built for him as a part of his company's second building. And he's telling us we just don't have the money to give people 6% raises. This idea that you have to be good at business by being completely immoral just to get to the bottom line is not necessarily the way I view it. There seems to be this giant chasm between these people who are striking and these people who are really feeling this. And then there's that one executive who came out who basically said, you know, we'll let them starve to death and then they'll they'll settle. So um, kind of what's your opinion on on that? But also on top of that, as someone who's kind of in these rooms, what's the temperature with the people who are being affected by this? I, it's hot. I mean, again, you've seen a few Bigger people that are much bigger than me as far as visibility wise, right? Like I, I would say I'm lucky enough to have made some money off acting. 
I fully intend to continue doing it and fully intend to get bigger with reach as I try to collaborate with people that I really love to work with and tell stories, right? But you're, you're seeing people that are literally already millionaires that have worked a ton and that have been so thankful about their experiences. That Ron Perlman video made a lot of waves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot, there's more than one way to lose your house and that's real. And the guy who said that was the CEO of Disney and he makes 25 million a year and he's an older white guy. And again, I just don't think he has the frame of reference for what the world actually feels like for a lot of people. Even if you had the worst intentions, you would play the game, right? You would play the politic game. You would just say, oh, we're working diligently. We don't want to see anybody starve. We want to make sure everybody's supported. That's that's the usual bullshit we get. Yeah. But in this case, they're kind of just, I think they're feeling a little rocked. It's almost like they don't understand it. Alana Glazer did an interview and she said, these people do not encounter real people in their everyday life. They're not taking the train. They're not going to grocery stores. They are not interacting with us. It's so unfortunate that I've heard from people around me saying, well, why should we care about these actors? You know, I would love to hear from you. (laughs) Why should we care? Um, I mean, I I know we should, but I, I think people need to really connect those two. I think it's a natural reaction, right? Especially one thing I've heard a lot is writing, right? They'll be like, well, a lot of the writing's trash anyways. And I'm like, yeah, but who greenlights the writing, guys? Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's get serious, okay? If I write 15 scripts and they reject 15 scripts and then the 16th one, they want me to write some bullshit that you didn't like, who's really to blame here, okay? I still got to get paid. Every writer has to write some things they don't love. Again, to bring the UPS one up, I saw there was a bunch of people online oh my God, how dare they get 170 grand a year? I'm like, you don't even know what their job entails as mm-hmm. a driver. You don't know how many pieces of mail they pick up, the physical labor, the physical dangers, dogs, crazy people, car accidents, all sorts of things that you would never think of. But instead of looking at it that way, kind of reframe it as to, well, I don't think I'm getting paid enough either. Maybe I need to start looking at that. Look, I'm a proud American. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, which, you know, we like to joke around, say we're the cradle of this shit. But like, <laughs> if you really want to be a proud American, a true patriot, and you're blah, 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 even if you are on the individualistic side, you need to look at what's right and wrong and what's affecting the general population. And a lot of people are just have their blinders on. They just think, oh, I'll be rich one day, or I'm, this is closer to Elon than it is to this. And it's it's not. It's, yeah. it's rigged in a lot of places. So start ripping it up and hopefully we can make some traction. I'm not saying we have to blow it all up. I'm not saying everything's awful. I'm just saying how many times do we have to go through the same cycle of nonsense? I was talking to a friend and she was like, you know what pisses me off? We're closer in wealth to Scarlett Johansson than Scarlett Johansson is to Elon Musk. Right. And you know, it's the ethos of the podcast too. That is where the issue is. is it's in these corporations and the people in it where these corporations are saying, if you break your back for us, if you fall beside your morals, we will reward you handsomely. And when you retire, we'll give you this golden parachute. As someone who will never have that, it pisses me off. With this episode, obviously we're focusing on the SAG-AFTRA WGA strikes, but really this is, I think, an episode about unions. So it's also great that you have this background on unions and also a connection to unions. And, you know, is there anything that you would have to impart on someone who says, I see what unions do, but how does that really help me as an everyday person? How does you getting paid fairly benefit me who cannot be paid fairly because I'm not in a union? And so I don't have that collective bargaining. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I would, you know, it would probably depend a tiny bit on what they're doing, but I would advocate for them. Like that's my, I think the the way to like kind of lead people into it is like, you have every right to be angry. You have every right to be upset. You have every right to be sad and concerned and anxious and all these things that, again, most everyday Americans are feeling. Okay, I don't care if you're bagging groceries, if you're cleaning toilets, if you're the trash truck man, if you're a dance instructor. Like, it, To me, it doesn't matter. You're right to be upset. I get it. I share your anger. I am on your side. But you're blaming the wrong people. <laughs> We can get on the same page to a degree. I'm not saying we have to agree on every little thing, but I think the union thing is like, yeah, they'll say, oh, well, unions are corrupt and this, that thing. Like, listen, there's nothing in this world that can't be corrupted. There's nothing in this world that's 100%. The other part of this, and it's a really hard pill to swallow, and part of it's the American thing is a lot of people don't care. They don't care about the next person. They care about themselves. They care about their kids, their money. And until that's impacted, they're not doing a goddamn thing about it. And that's just real. I was going to say it takes a, a different type of person and, you know, unfortunately, we don't have enough of those types of people in this world. Do you have any closing remarks for us as we wrap up this interview? Visit the SAG After site. They have a really good layout of kind of what we're fighting for. It's very, very cut and dry and pretty simple. And I think when you read it, it's almost a little bit more like, yeah, that's, that's not they're really not asking for that big of a deal. I would just, you know, ask people to try to be as empathetic as they can. I think that's kind of a dying breed these days. A lot of people are dealing with things you don't know about. doesn't really matter how much money you have most of the time either. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously it affects people who have less money a lot more. Well, that was a good interview to wrap things up with. I really liked how he talked at the end about there's an attitude of individualism in, in America that does not serve us. You know, we're we're selfish in a lot of ways. We're not concerned about the next person. We all have to find that thing we're passionate about and work really hard at it. All three of these people really want to be in this industry, not because it's the industry, but because they're creative people and this is what they want to do with their lives. And And the union helps protect that so they can do these things as well as support their families, support themselves. And, and that doesn't happen if everyone's on their own. Brad Pitt, can negotiate what his salary is by himself, but your average working actor doesn't have any leverage or doesn't have any pull. And that's what the union is there for, to give them that level of power. Well, I liked in the beginning, I think, because when it was just Chubby J striking, he said he st- struck. First off, is it struck or stroke? It's struck. He striked, he struck, he struck. He didn't have a stroke. I don't know. I'm striking against the English language. Sometimes I like to stroke, but I don't know what the appropriate word is here, but whatever it was, he did it. And he did in solidarity, which I think is awesome. And I think shows his character and his conviction. He seemed really, they all seemed really passionate, which you have to be to be in a career like that or in the industry like that. And I think this just shows that these people are not just going to back the fuck down and bend over or wait till time is out and then get right back to work. Like they're going to wait until they get what, what they deserve. He also mentioned, you know, the other unions that I think is a great way to parallel it too. And, you know, the UPS, like that just happened. They went on strike and they got a higher salary for drivers. So unions work. Yes, they do. He mentioned how many of his own family members were part of unions, which I think is what led him to support WGA, even though that's not his union. It's about all people who are in unions supporting themselves because it is a bigger collective. Well, I wish Erica was here to speak for herself. She did plenty of speaking. Should we end this somehow? I don't know. Maybe we just turn our mics off and walk out. (laughs) And we strike. Do podcast hosts strike? 
Is that the thing? I don't get any money. Yeah, first everyone has to pay us, and then and then we can strike. I would like to go on strike one day. <laughs> Every week I go on strike from reading Maggie's emails. That that's what's wrong here. We don't have Maggie with us right now. She's never going to let us record an episode alone again without her. No, this will be fine. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. All right. Well, I'm Kirk. I'm Andrew. And I'm Erica. First of all, it was Dick Cheney who needed a finger up the ass. Thank you for listening to Hellscape Carousel. If you like what you heard. Leave a five-star review, subscribe, and follow us on social media. Stay tuned for more episodes.